Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. For time's sake, I really need to get through the rest of chapter 10 and as I was studying this week although we were nearly through chapter 10 I'm like I'm not at chapter 10 yet you know and I'm thinking I need to move on here but uh, we, we will but it's chapter 10 let's just move on as chapter 10 comes to a close last week I spoke about my sheep hear my voice and will not follow no other or will follow no other and, and, and after that Jesus starts to walk around the outer porch I think the hard bit for me trying to capture these things that we're doing is, is <coughs> not so much what I, what I say, but what I leave out. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Jesus is just outside the temple, like in the periphery of the temple. The temple, the Solomon's porch is where all the scholars would debate. It's the place where they would all go and debate about their theology and the law. And Jesus is just walking around about as if he's just walking around about doing nothing. He's totally deliberate. And then the Jews and the scholars and the people ask him again, then they say this in John 10, 24 to 27. <clears throat> then the Jews surrounding him said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and says, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I says to you, my sheep will hear my voice and I will know them and they will follow me. And um, this is a conversation, as again here, this is a conversation that I would have with pastors and debate with people the day with modern pragmatic teachers. Pragma pragmatism means that anything that's good must be true kind of thing. And then the way it goes, the modern church, the church we were, <coughs> and have conversations with them. And, 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 and like me, they keep thinking that we used to be, they keep thinking they need to change the message to suit the people that are demanding a type of message. Uh, and they're demanding a type of answer and they think they want Jesus. But they're not understanding enough. So they give them the Jesus they want. The Jesus they think they can understand. The Jesus who makes them a winner. That's it, it's about being a winner. You're a winner. I'm trying to give them the Jesus that makes them a winner because they're all coming as losers, so they need to become winners because people are coming broken and hurting and all sorts of stuff, you know. No, have they not suffered enough? Let's give them the Jesus that makes them feel good. Uh, the Jesus who makes them a winner, makes them awesome. They get a buddy. I remember when I, when I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, I met this woman, she was... Uh, a school teacher, but she knew she knew the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's like saying you've got a degree in Kathy and Mark, okay? You've got a degree in Dick and Dora. No, that wee book, it's a nothing thing, right? She had a degree in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a nothing thing. But anyway, I remember saying to her anyway, and I remember saying to her, I says, listen, I believe in Jesus kind of God thing, but I'm being God in that, No. And she's like, do you see him like a kind of buddy friend? I says, exactly. He says, well, just make him your wee pal then. That never worked. Uh, I want her awesome, a buddy, a fixer, 
a guy on their level. The big man. Talked about that last time. A Jesus who solves all their problems. That's who they're looking for. They already had people that helped them go over problems. At this point, the Jews are, the, the Romans are annihilating them, i.e. I, they're, they're like prisoners to the Romans. Uh, so they want, they want Jesus to help them get a pickle. <laughs> you ever said no one of the get a pickle pr prayers? You know, that's, that's, that's the kind of Jesus they want. And it's a message that's so far from the word. But all unbelievers will love it. That's the thinking behind it. Uh, I was recently speaking to a minister. He said, this is what he says. He says, some, paraphrase, some, some of the congregation only hear from God during worship. Honestly, I nearly choked my penguin. Uh, he says, uh, that's what he says. Some of my, God, poor penguin. Did somebody say that? That's quite good. Poor penguin, honestly. Couldn't get through it all. <laughs> See, that, some, some, that's, that's all you're listening to today. Yeah. Some of the congregation only hear from God during worship. What's worse than that? They thought it was okay. So the person that says, says so what would you say to somebody that says they, they only hear from God during the worship? What would you say to them? I say, well, what was it he said? It's the first question I would ask. What, what was it exactly said like during worship that you were looking for? And then we had this conversation. Good, good guy. We had this conversation. And then they said, uh, I says, well, what they know hearing in the word? They just say, well, maybe the preacher's no right. And inside, I, could, I was almost like, aha. Aha. So what will start happening is you start looking at the crowd and seeing how they're responding and preach the message to suit how they respond. You know, they like it when the worship feely songs are coming on. Let's keep it going a bit longer. It's what they want, it's what they like, it's what makes them excited, it's what makes them feel lovely and gooey. No, it's what satisfies the flesh, that's the point. Uh, mostly it's emotionalism, manipulation, it's the God created in the image of man's wants. This is what they're asking. Speak to us plainly. No, talk to us in a way that we like. These Jews were no looking for Christ. They were no desiring Christ. They wanted someone to get them out of pickle, as I say, to fix their issues, to help them become winners, successful, stop bad things happening to them, stop bad people hurting them and annoying them. I used to say this, that some Christians, loose term, think Jesus is their private assassin. Yeah. So everybody annoys them. They just take them out in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you. Whoa. Or maybe they give money, thinking they're like the mafia. Jesus is the mafia. If I come and tithe and give offerings, if I put money into the bag, if I put money into the bag, Jesus will help me. Jesus will give me the job I want. No, I'll get the job I want. Jesus, like Jesus is like the mafia. You just pay him off. You know what I mean? Get you a couple of bob, Jesus. Sort out all my stuff. Jesus says, "I told you plainly, but you don't hear because you do not want me. You know of my fault. We need to preach the word. Why? So the believer will hear it." So that they'll hear the shepherd. Else they'll have a church full of unbelievers building an altar to their own God, believing they're actually saved. And that's with the conversation I was having with my friend. I said, you end up building a church for unbelievers who are demanding what they want to hear. Uh, and the church is 
mostly been shaped through that today. That's what the church has been shaped with. It's been shaped with what people like. Uh, because people choke in the word. It's like, <laughs> didn't he take Sunday off to come here to get that? <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> I've had a tough enough week without sitting and listening to that. Cheer me up. That's what it's like. Non-mature believers will always desire nothing more than milk. Now that might not make sense to you if you're not used to this, but non-mature believers desire nothing but milk. Uh, let me explain this a bit more. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3, let me get into this. This is Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Uh, and the church in Corinth, is, uh, the book of Corinthians is an amazing book. We might go there after John next year or something and get through the book of uh, the letters to the Corinthians, it's, it's, it's amazing. You ever, it's just astounding. And Apostle Paul's writing to this church. The reason I love Corinthians that much, it's like believers, but they just kind of grow up. <laughs> it's full of believers, you just kind of seem to get a grip. Oh, somebody's a lot. That's, that's me, oh, that's me. They're believers, but they can't get a grip. <laughs> they seem to get, keep on getting drawn away with the flesh and desires and worldliness. And he's saying they're believers because it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, and I, brethren, this he's saying, I, brothers and sisters, so he's already confirming they're believers. He's not saying they're no believers. I, and I, brethren, could not speak to you, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. And I, and I have a bad day when we can't speak to believers as if they're spiritual. <laughs> I can't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. So this is okay. This is at the beginning. This is fine. He's, they've just been saved by God's grace. And at the beginning, he's fed them a, 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 a piecemeal that they can handle. Okay, that, that's fine. But he's not going out of context to feed it. This is, this is the point. I could not feed you solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. So, so what he's saying is, you weren't, you weren't able, you've been a Christian long enough, a believer long enough, to be able to get an ouchy message. <laughs> you should be hearing stuff that's changing your life, that's impacting you, that's challenging you. I can understand there were a time in your life you just wanted to feel a wee bit better. You wanted it simple. We get that. I gave you that. Still in the word. But it's not too complex. Okay, we're not trying to give you a Puritan message here. C complexity, some sort of deep theology. We get that. But he's saying you should be beyond that now. But you still only like the nice wee stuff. Yeah, you still only like the nice wee stuff. You like God to speak to you during the worship rather than the word. This is what it's saying. For until now you were not able to receive it and even now you're still not able. Even though he's saying that you should be. For you're still carnal for where there are envy and strife and division among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That's dead ouchy, isn't it? If you've got that going on at times... Oh, toes up here. See, if you've got that going on, that's, that's, that's like, oh. And what it's saying is, is, and what was happening is, Apostle Paul goes to the church in Corinth, and they've got their favourite. <laughs> that's what's going on. They're like, we like Apollos. We're not really into Paul. 
Some were saying we're Apollos, some were saying we're Paul. We like, oh, we like him or we don't like him or we like when he preaches, we don't like when he preaches, we like when him, we like it when they say that, but we don't like it when they say that. They were, they were becoming so carnal that they were deciding how they like to be fed. But yet they should have been further on than this by now. Okay, they should have been further on this. They have stopped growing. Why? Because they have not continued to crucify the flesh. Uh, if, if you're new to this, crucify the... Listen, we're not trying to game go hard. No, we're not talking about self-harm here. We're talking about crucify the flesh, as in desires, mindsets. Every lofty thing, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We're to, you know, the things that we do. Things that comfort us, things, and things that bring joy to your life, things, and we have to watch that. You know, it's like, you can overindulge in it. Yeah. It's okay, you need to do things, you know what I mean? But see if you're coveting trainers in Amazon and no reading the word ever. That's the kind of level we're going here, right? No, I mean, I'm never reading my Bible here, but honestly, see these beautiful Nikes and Amazon. I think I'm talking about myself here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? That's where we're coming for that. And he's saying, look, now you're getting into petty debates about what you like and what you don't like. And now you're starting to demand what you want to hear. Now they can't, and now what harms? Do you know what harms? See, when you continue to do that over time after time after time, it kills your appetite. Everything needs liquidized. You know, everything needs liquidized. Now, in the beginning, a believer, it probably needs to be liquidized a bit. But no changed. You're still getting the same stuff. You're just making it a bit more palatable. But no, always. So during any sermon, any, any minister, any pastor during a sermon has to consider the new believer, the non-believer to an extent, and the mature believer on one has to consider the hurting sister, the hurting daughter, the, the, the hurting mother, the, the bold fat, the arrogant fat. Everything has to be encompassed. But never, ever changing the power and the content of the word today. So some of you should be able to get this and you're hearing me because of how you are why? Because you're not used to that. Some of you are hearing and it's like, oh, you know what? I get enough out of that. See, what starts to happen if we don't do that? We step out, we're away from the word. And the church is now causing the problem. Milk stealers, I call them. You're like, you shouldn't be stealing babies' milk still. No children in here now. We shouldn't be breastfeeding at 40. There a picture. Do you get what I'm saying? It's no right. <laughs> We're still breastfeeding at that age. We should be beyond that. So now they can't handle all the word. They can't handle the truth. And the flesh is now desiring a type of diet. And Jesus is no biting. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to keep on feeding you the diet that you want. To satisfy the desires you have. Some say they're Paul, some say they're Apollos. And they're having this whole big argument about who they like to listen to and who they don't, and how they like to hear it and how they don't. Oh, I'm into him and I'm into him and I'm into him. Do you know what I love about reform? Do you know what I love about reform theology? There's no personalities. 
That's how I'm totally, and I don't mean there's no personalities per se, as in people are no different. I just know whoever you get, the guy preach the word. You, you'll meet Tommy, he, he couldn't be further from the North Pole to Amherst the South Pole and who we are as personalities and people. But I know he's going to feed the word. I know he's going to feed you the word. I know he's going to feed you the word and I have that confidence. Now, Paul is warning them that they must keep on growing. And this is the thing, they need to keep on growing. You don't keep on growing, you can't hear the word. You can't receive the word. Everything chokes you. You start vomiting. It's too sore. No developed enough strength. You don't want to begin your baby fillet steak. Or that chewy steak. Worse. I couldn't even eat that. Don't get... Oh. I don't know how can eat it. Why, why am I talking about fatty meat? I don't care. I can't eat it right. Paul's warning them they must keep on growing and killing the flesh, else the message will get lost. Yeah. Milk stealing. We've got mature Christians, and this is what ends up happening is we have to feed new believers milk, but when mature believers don't grow and change and crucify the flesh, the church will then become an immature, non overcoming church. That's no the worst. That's no the worst part. It's where that leads to. Because they will start to call, this is what happens. They start to call anything other than simple, light-hearted, shallow evangelism, happy, clappy, feel-good stuff, funny. <laughs> Make me feel good. Know the gospel. So then you got them preaching, then you've got the so-called believers are into milk going, this is no helping the babies. This is no... And they start intimidating. This is what happens. They start trying to intimidate the preacher, and before you know it, the word's lost, and it's only ever milk. It's like milkshake, church. It's not just, it's not just milk, it's flavours of milk now. It's flavours of milk. Let's get a wee bit of chocolate milk, because people have got different tastes. Ultra-liberalism then comes in and they demand. They're bold. Liberalism, the ultra-liberals, they're bold. They'll be telling you what you're not allowed to say and what you're allowed to say. And the church is embracing it. I was reading this week, I'm not getting into controversy here, I was reading this week that Franklin Graham, now I would not say that my theology lines up completely with Franklin Graham or Billy Graham. What I see at Disney completely, but here we go. Franklin Graham comes coming to Scotland, he's partly coming to Scotland, and he said something about LGBT. Cat. Oh, and they're up my arms, he's not coming to Scotland now. Okay? Now, the guy was not. The guy was not saying he doesn't love people, he doesn't care about people, he's just saying, he was asked a question, he gave an answer. People are up my arms, including a Church of Scotland minister that says that's no right. Church of Scotland minister says he shouldn't say it. Because he's feeding milkshake to everybody. See, this is what starts coming. And the church is now, it's no longer now the world that's demanding what the church says. Now the church is demanding what the rest of the church should say. And that's coming, seen in the next days, weeks, months and years. The church will start telling the other churches what they should say. And Church of Scotland ministers will start to, as they are more and more, are starting to say, you can't say that. You can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that. And everybody's feeding milk and the word gets lost. And then see, see this tragedy is, 
see the true person who needs to hear the shepherd's voice. They can't hear it. Because yeah. we're now bringing a message that's contrary to the word. It's the danger that we start going in. It's not a day we love, and that's where it ends up happening, is we decide what love is. And we call it that, which will take me into where I'm going. We start to call anything other than simple, light-hearted, feeling stuff, know the gospel. Anything they can't digest is no longer like Christ. <laughs> so it starts happening. Anything that they don't like to digest is no Christ-like. Can't be Christ-like. I can't, I can't swallow that. Just because you can't swallow it doesn't... Maybe you've been drinking milk too long. For way too long that you can't digest anything because it doesn't suit you. Maybe you're not free enough for people yet. They're a, they're a, they're a, that's just flung out there. Maybe you're not free enough for the people. Maybe, maybe you think love is acceptance and inclusion. Yeah. And no leading somebody to faith. Maybe you've been caught up with that. Anything they can't digest is no longer Christ and it won't help. It's no, what happens is it's no even longer any, it's, what happens is it's no longer milk anymore. It's no even milk. It's another form of self-help. It's another form of inclusion. It's another form of let people feel better, let people feel included, let people feel accepted. I believe the greatest gift we can give to people of a different persuasion. I'm talking for the church here, okay? Is that we stand in the word. Because we're in a world where people compromise with everything. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great? I talk to friends, I talk to people, people, gays, <coughs> LGBT, whatever you want to call it. I, I speak to people like that regularly. People like that, just people. And you know what, I never feel the need to compromise what I believe about the word, and you know what? I think they respect you for that. In the long run, I think they respect you for it. Because at least you stand in something. And they're just saying, no, that's what it is. You know, and then you can get into a debate with that, which we're not going into where it, where it all goes and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And I'm only using that as an example, but what happens is when we, when we change what what the word says to suit the desires of people's lives. We all starve to death. You'll starve to death. You will starve in church and you'll come to church and you'll wonder why you're not growing and you're not changing. And before you know it, you'll become part of the milkshake crowd. And that's what they want. And that's because the undecided is actually no dictating how you speak. <laughs> That's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. We have to be no ashamed of the gospel. We have to believe in the sufficiency of scripture or not all. It's an attack on the gospel. And it's a tactic of the enemy to shut down the gospel so people that desperately need to hear it won't hear it. That's yeah. what it is. It sounds like Bartley, the fittest and stuff. It's no, you know, a, a guy wrote some. I just noticed that classic. So in my thinking church this week, I was talking about flicking and dipping, okay? Now, as a new believer, you might, you get these books that are everywhere. Let me just be very brief here. You get these books in it, and they're all about, if you're struggling with confidence, here's 50 scriptures on confidence. So you go and flick and dip it because you're going for an interview tomorrow. 
Right, I'm going for an interview. I'll need to get confidence. I'm going for an interview. So you flick to a scripture that's going to give you confidence for your interview. Or, yes, okay, let me just say it in North Lancashire terms, you're prat it, right? You're skinto, okay? You've just did a bill you can't cope with. Oh, I'll need to find a scripture that's a bit finance, right? So you go away and find a scripture that's a bit finance, okay, because you're looking for that, right? Oh, now, in a pure sense, it's not all bad, okay? It's not the worst thing in the world. But I get this long message for a guy, right? And he's like, oh, he's, he's like, first and foremost, Christianity's kind of bogus and no true, but wait and I'll share some scriptures with you while you're wrong. And he, and he, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was sharing some scriptures and what he was saying, and this, this was the essence. No, this was the essence in the, and in, in the thinking church, what it says is that you'll never develop a meaningful relationship with Christ when you're only looking for wee things and this, this, this was the crux of what I was saying. You're looking for wee nuggets to make you feel better. So you're not actually developing a deep relationship with God. You're, you're in pain. Oh, I don't know if he loves me, God. Can you show me? No. But just show me a passage that I will prove. Just tell me what to do because I need, I need him to notice me. Because I'm invisible to him. Well, so that's where it goes, right? You end up looking for a passage to be how to win your man fifty easy moves or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's not it's, it gets as stupid as that, right? And what happens is is that you you're delving into the word to comfort your flesh. And the point I was making is is that we have to we have to get into the word to build a relationship with God. It's like it's like giving somebody a thumbs up on Facebook or on whatever, don't go on that. Giving somebody a thumbs up on Instagram or something, you're building a deep, meaningful relationship with them. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's no happening. And the person started saying, he says, look, the word of God, it's more or less, he says, the word of God that he doesn't believe in, the word of God's about getting in and having fun and wee things that's going to make you feel better and help your life. I didn't bother getting into a debate. I'm like, I don't know. No, it's no. It's about finding a relationship with God. Okay, we're not asking you to start a Genesis through the exit. We'll get into the deep stuff. That's going to take time. But we need the whole counsel of God. Yeah. And here's the, here's the deal before I move on. What ends up happening is, is we confuse milk with water in the gospel. There's a big difference. There's a big difference with feeding people milk and water and in the gospel and turning it into another gospel so it's easy digestible for people's life. Now, you're speaking to a new believer or somebody new, you want to make it like milk, but what you don't want to do is you don't want to water down the gospel and put some hidden ingredient in that appeals to their flesh. That won't work. Does that make sense? Hope it does. The modern church is saturated with overaged, undernourished believers who are now demanding a type of diet that they can swallow and believe that that's what the world needs because all, it's all they can handle. You ever notice what, that's what we end up feeding people? We end up feeding people with what we can handle. <laughs> you kind of give away what you've no go to that stuff. We have a wealth of weak and This is what ends up happening is if the preacher's no bold, no strong, no studying the word himself, no crucifying his own flesh, drawing this together, They'll keep serving it up to people. 
So the pastor doesn't mind it. The person only hears during the worship. Only hear for God during the worship. Oh, that's great. I'm delighted. He's awesome, isn't he? Really? Really? You're all right with that? You're, you're, you're all right with that? You're all right after 20 years, all they can do is dance TV songs and fall asleep during the message. <laughs> and you're all right with that? Uh, you, you, I'm not all right with him being all right with that. Yeah? Seriously, I'm not all right with him not being all right with that. And I have debate with people that all the time. They just think I'm controversial and argument for argument, I'll say. I'm like, people are starving to death here. True believers are starving to death here. Not to mention, as I've been on there, the bold liberalism that demands a wealth of flavoured milk. Because liberalism demands, like the Church of Scotland guy, you're going to have to feed milk that's digestible to everybody regardless of what they're into. Yeah. That's where the church is at. You better feed them strawberry milk because that's what they can handle. They better Chocolate milk, we better, we better put some ingredients like that in it that's good for the taste buds. And before we know, we're no longer in the gospel at all. Milkshake church. I'm a bit of a blog on that, the milkshake church. Because the message is now, the gospel message is now about one thing. Acceptance and inclusion to everybody. Because after all, that's what Jesus did, didn't it? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He certainly wasn't with these Jews that he was talking to, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know he was like with everybody. He certainly wasn't like with them. He's like, I've told you plainly and you're not listening and I'm not changing my message to suit what you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I could have just said that in one sentence. We don't even need to get through that. All right, good night. I'm not changing the message to suit what you want because I'll have to then end up bowing you and feeding you what you want forever. I love you enough not to keep feeding you what you want. Yeah. It takes courage to not keep feeding people what they want, don't you think? Yeah. It takes courage to say no. It's no easy to say no to people. But it, and it takes courage to say no to people. But there's a greater love in that, which takes me to chapter 11, which I should have been at ages ago, if it was the 40 years old. <laughs> and it's a great following, because chapter 11 is all about loving people. It's really about loving people. It's amazing that it just follows it. It's really about loving people. But it's loving people enough to give them nothing more than Jesus. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Have... Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what she said there. But I know it was holy. Anyway, that's what Juman does. See... Sorry, can we just stop here? <laughs> See, during the message, she's listening to watching me videos with her daughter. This is what I'm up against. <laughs> Might as well point you out. You interrupted me. <laughs> oh. Sometimes you just see when you've just went like that and it's been like that. If I get one mere punch, I'm knocked out here. I was grateful for that wee holly back there. That's just... That was, that was therapy for me. I was ready to die there. One more serious conversation I might have had a heart attack. <laughs> this is about, in particular, Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's, it's a long chapter, 57 verses. We ain't going through them. 
we already have. Uh, but I want to capture an essence of something, you know, and obviously it's about Jesus and saying, I am the resurrection and the life, but it's more than that. And it follows on from what I've just said. I'm going to give you the essence. John 11, 46. When Jesus heard, this is new, he's went away, he was in Bethany. He's got Lazarus, Martha and Mary in his life, who he loves, they're his closest. Out with the disciples, they were his friends. And it says, when Jesus heard that, he said this sickness. So what happens is, Lazarus is sick, his friend. Jesus would go to Bethany, it would be a place that he would go to regular and visit with Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Uh, when he was on his ministry, it would be his wee b and It's where he would go and live with his friends during ministry rather than at times live under bridges. He would go there and he would feed them, they would water them and he would have an intimate relationship with these people. And here what's happened is, is we're coming here and Lazarus is now really sick and they send word to Jesus saying, look, your friend Lazarus is really sick. Can you come and help him? Watch what it says. It says here, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness, sickness is not any death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then John goes on and says this, which is so important. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place he was. What is that? When, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was hurting, sick, dying, and because he loved them, and that's why it's saying it, and he loved them, he didn't bother coming. Isn't that weird? Because he loved them, he didn't bother coming. At that point. And this is all about the re resurrection, but amongst this amazing chapter, it's, you see Jesus' humanity and his deity. Jesus' humanity is his fully man, deity, he's fully God. And John highlights, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Why? Why did he stay two more days and no come running to help Lazarus? Because he loved him. If it was love, you would think he would have ran and fixed it. Doesn't love go and run and fix people? He would have took away the pain. Doesn't love just want to take away and no, go and take away people's pain? That's real love, isn't it? Doesn't love just take away the despair? Martha's distraught. And the whole passage teaches what real love is and what real love wants to give amongst much other things, okay? Much, much other things about I am the resurrection and the life and for his glory, all that stuff. What could possibly be more loving than helping someone you love who is sick get well? Yeah. I remember being in this very passage when my dad was dying. He was probably in the last week, his life. I remember being in this. We were in this. It was just, for me, it was timing and how to handle it. Now we had to have charismatic saying to me, you know what, we're still believing. We're still believing in a miracle. We're still believing in. I don't believe I'd let I don't believe I had any faith because I knew it wasn't going to happen. 
Okay, I don't believe I had any faith because I didn't knew it was going to harm. I believed that what I needed is, was a level of faith that only cared about his eternity. This is the difference. I'm not saying that God can't perform miracles and do anything. Listen, we'll take it any way we can get it, won't we? But Lazarus never tried to take away pain, despair, sadness, hurts. Sometimes you will. Let's get a bit of balance here, okay? I'm not saying we should never do that. But sometimes it's all we do. Surely healing them. Surely healing somebody their loneliness or their heart or their brokenness has to be the greatest love of all. No. It's not the greatest love of all. The greatest love of all is something way, way, way beyond that. And it says Jesus loved them and it says on numerous occasions through chapter 11, yet did not go to see Lazarus until it was too late. Martha runs to him, remember, when he does and they arrive, he arrives on the side where he's, where he's placed, he's now in the tomb, buried. And Martha says, if only you were here a couple of days ago, I know my brother would have lived. Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection. Your brother will live. And she says, I know in the, in the last days. And then she says, I'm the resurrection now. And Jesus himself, fully man and fully God, expressed and experienced the death of his friend. This is an important thing as I bring this in. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he, all, he, he experienced everything that man experienced. Okay? So Jesus can't go and touch deity to heal his humanity. Right. Okay, that's... I need to give that a wee bit more milk in that, I think. Right. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus can't... And I don't mean that to be patronising there. It, Jesus, because he's fully man and he has to experience different man experiences, he, can't, he, he doesn't have the authority or the right, because he wouldn't be man, to go and draw, to go and draw everything he's got in heaven and apply it to man so that he doesn't need to face what we face. Okay, that, that, that's, that's how it is. Now, so what he has to apply is a man is total faith. <laughs> But he's also God. Okay? That's so he can't just go in because it's an unfair advantage then, isn't it? He's an, un, he's an unfair advantage as a man. He's, he's got a different, a whole different level of advantage as God. But he also has to be the purest of men. As well. Yeah? As well as God. Because see if he was just God and he can date because he's God and he's that then he can't experience what we experience. So see when it says in verse 36, the shortest verse in the whole of the Bible, Jesus wept. When Jesus arrived at the tomb, he wept. Now he's weeping. He's not just weeping tears of the loss of his friend, but he is weeping tears of the loss of his friend. Because he's devastated as well. But he's also weeping a deeper tears. So he's, he's, he's weeping human tears for the loss of his friend. And he's weeping godly tears at the sin and also at the glory that's going to be revealed. He's got a different level going on. And, I, and, and the only way I can express this, and know that we'll ever be there or attain that, as we go on in our journey with God, your tears change, don't you think? Don't you think your tears change? You have a different type of tears. You have, 
it's, they become less self-indulgent tears and there's a difference between a tear. Is any great at films? I can eat, I can eat anything. <laughs> any seen The Two Popes? If you've never seen The Two Popes, you should see it. I think it's a fantastic film, to be honest with you. I loved it. How real it is and how true it is, I'm not sure. It's a brilliant film. I was great at that. It's a brilliant film. It's an outstanding film, The Two Popes. And I'm not saying it's accurate or totally biblically accurate, but see, for pure humanity, it's a beautiful film. Way better than I thought it would be. Uh, and I don't want to endorse a film or anything, but I just have. <laughs> I was great. I, I was like... <laughs> and there are different kind of tears, you know. I mean, I know that can just be emotionalism, but sometimes it just hits you at a different level, doesn't it? Well, go way, way beyond that. Way, way beyond that and all the emotion, the, the humanness, the, the godliness and everything. But that's the cheer, tears that Jesus is weeping in. He's also sharing tears just in a simple form for his friend. For others' pain. For the pain that Martha and Mary are facing. For the lack of faith that the people have run about him. So as I close, what was greater love than taking away pain, than bringing healing? than answering a desire when somebody was asking. Giving them faith. Giving them faith. There can't be any greater love than somebody to come to faith and somebody to grow in faith. I heard John MacArthur saying the other day when he was in an interview, it must have been a Q&A in a recent conference, and he was talking about it, and I'll paraphrase it, but he, he, he was saying, I don't think there's anything been more encouraging for me in, the fif in 50 years or anything I desire more than to see the people in his church grow. <laughs> That's what makes him weep. Yeah. That's what, what he desires above everything else, that the people would grow. Mm. I don't know a pastor worth his salt who, who's number one. You cut them right through the middle of that stalker rock. That's what they'll desire. Oh, I wish they would grow in faith. I want them to grow in faith. Even the pastors that feed milkshake want people to grow in faith. So the question is, do we love people enough not to solve the problem all the time? I think Jesus in his humanity was wanted to just go. <laughs> he would have. But he almost had to refrain in his flesh. <laughs> he loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Lazarus. But there's something greater. There's a greater love than helping people solve their problems. There's a greater love than taking people's pain away. There's a greater love than preaching people happy. There's a greater love than no constantly comforting people. It's to share Christ with them in them. That they desire, that they would come to desire nothing, but they would come to faith and know Jesus. As I say, when I was in this, my dad was, I saw I was like, I just, that's all I want. I used to go and sit with him, but that's all I care about. Go to pray with you. That's all I want. Oh, no. It's all that matters. And the scaly things, it's all that matters. I truly hope that's what matters to us, but unfortunately we're human, I know, and we, and we get so caught up and we get so enmeshed in people's lives. And here's the deal. You know, and this, this can be about... I, 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 I meet people a lot, and I, I feel... I have to... I feel... 
deeply for parents trying to nurture their kids. I'll tell you, I really feel deeply for. I feel deeply for everybody. I feel deeply for parents who's been saved after nurture. I stayed hard because there's a guilt that goes with it. There's a guilt that goes with it, and there's a guilt that make because the parent then looks back and goes, "Oh no, you didn't know any better. You done the best you could with what you had." But then when you know better, you go, oh. And here's the truth. Even if you did do well, your child gets to 12 or 13 and all hell breaks loose anyway, even if you were a saint. Honestly. Even if they, honestly. Even if you get broke. Look, see if you're wondering if that's not true. Check the state of Jesus' brothers. <laughs> they didn't even believe in Jesus. <laughs> You get what I'm saying? There's no perfect parents, but there is a guilt that goes with it. You have to, we have to learn to overcome that guilt because that guilt will overcompensate. But but even beyond that, that guilt and that shame and that stuff and that need to take away, them you love's pain is, is really about our pain and about what we can't handle. Listen, you're going to get this, okay? If you've got teenage kids, even if they're adults, I don't like you, okay? No bother. In fact, I hate you. All right. It's not even I don't like you, I hate you. See you, I hate you. I wish you weren't my mum and dad. All right, okay. Well, we'll take you your wee pals in the corner then. Who's rice? You ever seen that? No, I don't mean to go there. <laughs> uh, mum, we'll take you your wee pals. <laughs> Sorry, you seen that. I thought you might go there with that. Well, we'll take you somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pain. I don't like you, I hate you. I used to stay in a flat in Stevenson and my, my next, door, next door neighbour was walking up, they up the stair in the flat, was walking up the stair of their wee boy. His name was Ross. He's probably about 18 now. He might be listening. Ross was three, right? And I'm out in my outhouse tidying up. Well, I was, I was trying to get extra ginger bolts for a bottle of Buckfast. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's true, actually. I didn't make that up. I'm telling the truth. Uh, and <laughs> it's true. And, and I was at my outhouse, and Ross went by. Ross is three, and Ross went like his mum. I don't like him. <laughs> I was a raging. <laughs> He's three. I was raging for ages. I remember Jane came in for work and I see that wee guy Ross, he's no right, that wee boy, he's no right, and resent, full-blown resent, he's no right, there we want me, there's something no right about that wee guy, just because I couldn't handle, he rejected me, how much harder is it when there's people that's close to you, you love, and you can't say no to them, and they're hurting, and you know they're hurting you, I'll fix it, I'll come and, I'll make sure you don't die, I'll make sure nothing happens to you, I'll fix the problem, And if we don't crucify our own flesh, it's hard. It's no easy because there's a balance. When do I step in? When do I don't? I'm with Alex. ESB, I call him. Right? (laughs) Alexander. Andrew Johnson. And he's in this coffee shop every Friday and he owns it. (laughs) And there's these three women come in to the coffee shop every Friday. And they're no plane. Ever. They're never, they're not even plane to say hello. 
Okay, ever. And Alex has got a wee American football. And he thinks it's a Super Bowl. <laughs> and he keeps on flinging at these women. <laughs> and they're like, come on now. They're raging. <laughs> right. Now what I should have done was, come on, Alex. But he was loving it that much. <laughs> and I love him that much. <laughs> and I was going to write in the post that I wrote, do as I say, not as I do. Because <laughs> it's no easy. But there is levels, eh? You have to know when the level changes to inclusion. But that's how hard it is to correct. That's how hard it is. It's hard because you just go, oh, but they're so cute. Look at them. They're so cute. The woman's got soup everywhere. They're so cute. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, Fraser, you need to come up. It's getting too immature. We have to deny our own pain, our own need to comfort, our own guilt. Our own guilt of no fixing it earlier. <laughs> and no fixing it now. That's true love. That's what Jesus was doing. I'm not coming. I'm not coming now. Because there's a bigger goal than me taking away your pain and me take there's no greater love that I can give you than that you have more faith in me is what he's saying that's why I'm going to let Lazarus die and then I'll resurrect him and then you'll know me and then you'll trust me because I love you that much out with the 12 disciples he probably is it, there's no equations but outside the disciples there's no mere talk about him loving any other three humans than these people and his part and thought is he's a few weeks before he, get, before, he, before he is crucified himself. And it's almost that my part and thing is to you is, is that you would have faith. My part and thing is that you would come to know me and who I truly am. The milk stuff that we call care and love must be under control and balanced and we must deny the need to overcomfort, overprotect. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. People say, I, I know people have got a judgment to lie. So, but do you know you've no dwayings? I know I've not took care of neither. You know, it doesn't work. I'm going with biblical principles. Yeah. I think I've had enough experience, but anyway, it's not about me. The need to overcomfort, protect. There's no helping people gain more faith. You know, there's a statement in the modern pragmatic church it stinks. What a love in that one. It's that they might be the only Jesus you'll they'll ever see. I hope no. I hope. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid that you're the only Jesus that people see. Because they'll never accept, they'll never fund Jesus if you're the only Jesus they'll ever see. Because one day they're going to see you being an absolute psychopath. <laughs> and realise that that was a bad Jesus to fully. Or they're going to see you fail, or sin, or get angry, or whatever. Need to overcome and protect. It's no help gain more. It's a hindrance. We need to stop being people's Jesus.
We truly need to stop being people. Maybe say, well, I'm not trying to be Jesus. Listen, if you keep on fixing people's problems, stay them in so that they don't need to face anything, so that they don't need to fall, so that they don't need to deal with anything, you are. And we do it under the name of love, and do you know what it is? It's no. It's no. It's nowhere near it. There might be some love in it, but it's no. Because love does not seek its own. And it's seeking its own. Often when our kids or people come, our friends come and they come with a gripe, you're always like that, oh, I don't care. I don't deal with it. No, just, just need to deal with it. Just need to deal with it. You, you, need, you need to deal with it, no everybody likes you. How can you create, how can you bring up and raise a child in a world where you can try and get everybody to love them? Is that no mental? I mean, I don't even like myself most of the time, never mind everybody else like me. What chance you got? To stop being people's Jesus. Sometimes just let people hurt. Stop jumping into defender resentment. Seriously. Seriously. Stop jumping into defend your loved one's resentments. I mean, they said what to you? I feel sorry for parents who have to deal with sorry to school teachers at times. Can't do anything. I'll say no teachers are good either. Stop jumping to defend their resentments. Making who it hurts them your enemy as well. It's not good, isn't it, no? As hard as it is. I would say, take yourself into a wee room, open up your word, go on your knees and just say, God, give me the ability to not be able to fix this. <laughs> give me the ability to not fix this because I ain't helping. Because see, when we get older and we have to then face that, and face the stuff that goes on in our mind and mindsets and belief systems, and we can no longer capture thoughts and we can no longer take thoughts captive. We can no longer punish disobedience in our life because it's not that we are being disobedient. It's that somebody's hurt us or somebody's offended us or somebody's done us and it's no our fault. We create victims all over the world. Don't become their crutch. And as I say, that says more about our need. I will close and say this. I had a young, I, I, I've not spoken about this for a long time, but I just, just, just came to my mind here, just to tell you that we're on this journey. And uh, I had some young boys staying with me, so many of them know that, and one of them stayed with me for quite a number of years, and it was hard, and I made hundreds of mistakes. Hundreds of mistakes, hundreds. But I remember the last six months of them being there, I had to go on some journey because I knew I wasn't helping. I knew I was no longer helping the person. I knew the horse had bolted. And it was my insecurity, my pain, my guilt, my inability to let go that was holding on to them beyond their willingness to be there. And sometimes you have to go on that journey. And I had great people running about me and I'm... I, I'm, I'm dead vocal anyway so I won't hold anything in I'll talk about it and I'll share it and I'll navigate it 
I mean, you, you can't you can't deal with that stuff, wouldn't it? And you just can't. You you got to talk about it. You've got to share it. You've got to put everyone on the table and share your insecurity, your highs, your lows, the the what's going on. You just you just need to be totally vulnerable and honest with what's going on in you. No trying to defend yourself, no, because every time you, you be vulnerable, there's this wee other voice saying, "Take it back, take it back, take it back. Don't be vulnerable." All that stuff goes on, and I had to just slowly but surely and let it go. I don't know where that'll go and where that'll no go, but it was the right thing to do. Because I'm not their Jesus. Yeah, I'm not their Jesus. I won't pray they find Jesus. But I was becoming a greater stumbling block because of what was going on in me than what they needed. And we have to just do that. The prodigal son was released by the father, not because the father didn't love him, but because the father did. And we have to learn to do the same in order to love people, and it's hard, isn't it? And there's loads of insecurity. But what will become of them? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? What will be coming them? I don't know what will be coming them, but we'll pray diligently. Yeah. And we'll learn and we'll try and gain the wisdom of what we hold on in, what we protect and what we support and what we look for. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.